I think one of the ways you can understand the health of Formula One is if you go to the race meeting and you prefer the F2 race, then they're in trouble. Everybody looked like a zombie. And they were, like, everyone was shattered after Las Vegas. And that meant that if you were driving at about 100 miles an hour down the, down the motorway, you'd get probably three minutes of a radio station before it cut straight to something else. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Collecting Addicts podcast. I said 43 a second ago and management, that's a prime number. Everyone else nodded, I don't even know what a prime number is. Apparently it's a number that's not divisible by anything apart from itself, according to Neil Clifford, who and got one. one A at O level, but it happened to be uh, in mass, clearly. Uh, um, we are now going to go... <laughs> he's objecting and looking around in his lair, because he looks like a baddie from the Italian job. Okay, Straight into Formula One, we have to go straight to manage because he was there on the ground to see what the Times yesterday voted the worst race of 2023. Did it? Yes, it did. Mm. Um, so, uh, talk us through it. Well, I had an amazing weekend and it was, you know, partly race, partly a few bits and pieces to do with uh, my professional life. But I have to say, my big observation was that the paddock was maybe two thirds full compared to other Abu Dhabi races. And, uh, you know, even compared to last year, and the championship was decided last year, well in advance too. What I did see were zombies. Everybody wow. looked like a zombie. And they were, like, everyone was shattered after Las Vegas. And when you had little chats with people, I mean, we were guests of um, McLaren and talking to the peers, Andrea, and even Zach, they've normally got a big reserve of energy, but 22 Grand Prix and having this race a week after Las Vegas. I mean, I think it was Piers who was saying that, no, no actually it was um, somebody from Mercedes who was saying, that, you know, the delayed practice that in Las Vegas, you know, because of the manhole cover, blah, 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 just shot everything. He said, we were walking back from the circuit as the sun was rising and we had sort of negative jet lag. In other words, you want to get up super early. And so we couldn't go to sleep. By the time we went to sleep, the alarm went off saying, right, you've got to get back onto the circuit. And they basically then had a 12-hour journey to Abu Dhabi after that. Um, I mean, it, 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 you know, not trying not to be boring here, but I think, you know, they are going to have to look at this schedule because you can't have, you just can't have that. And that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a minority opinion. That was a majority opinion. They were just absolutely done and um you know there I think are a thousand racing drivers listening to this who would say if they're too tired those precious little drivers i'll do it it wasn't <laughs> the drivers honestly it was the, it i know was the i know, I know. but you know what mechanic. i'm saying about what drivers are like no no listen listen i mean i, I didn't get any sense of prima donna syndrome and you what you ended up with actually was you know it it was a bit of a professional processional race I, I think there were two things up for grabs neither of which particularly grabbed the public's imagination, who was going to come P3, who was going to come P4. Um, I think Charles, in retrospect, did make a, a very slight strategic error in his timing of letting Perez go. Because they're saying, had he been a second slower, Ferrari probably would have done it, wouldn't they? Because of the, the five seconds. If he'd done it two laps earlier, he probably yeah. would have been fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you, you know, it, 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 Abu Dhabi very often... I mean, ironically, I wasn't there in 2021. It's the only one I've missed. But um, it does tend to be a pretty uh, end of the year, most things are decided type of way. I, I have to say this year, it really, it had a kind of very deep lethargy about it. And how do you follow Las Vegas in a way? We had every kind of drama. Yeah. Imagine, you know, you, you have the last, and they, they pay a big premium, by the way. For this yeah, I've got, I've got two questions for you, managers, someone who's on the ground there. First of all, if you're a, a wealthy um, emirate and, and you pay handsomely to have the last race and then the organisers decide to host their biggest self-funded Fandango the weekend before, surely your lawyers will, will knock on their door and say, uh, this is not what we're paying for. Um, and second of all, I, I remember going there when it just opened. Mercedes launched the SLS there, actually. Um, and I remember going out there to drive it, and the the English guy that was running the circuit, whose name escapes me, um, Martin Whitaker. 
Uh, yes, I think it was. It was, yeah. He said, um, he said 18 months ago, this wasn't here. Mm. I just remember thinking, I don't really understand. S civil engineering projects for, com for countries that have got serious money happen so much faster. We can't build HS2 in two decades. They can build... The, an entire island with a race ticket on it in about 18 months. Amazing, isn't it? But um, $1.32 billion. It's extraordinary. But but it is a, when you drive it, it's a circuit that flows in a road car. It does. It's got massive straights. But why does it not give us any overtaking? It's really mm. strange. On on paper, it's a circuit that should be fantastic every time because it's got it's got long straights into slow corners and it's got it's got some good high high downfall stuff as well. Yeah. There's but it bit, never really delivers, and I'm sure yeah. there's, there's someone with a big forehead that'll be able to tell us exactly why. But we often do get. You think, do you think it might be due to the fact that um, the hybrid part of it, which is the sort of street part of it, running in and out of the hotel and the marina, a lot of right-angled corners, a lot of very slow corners. Um, normally, you would want, I guess, a high downforce setup to really attack those as much as you can attack a 90-degree corner. The thing is, as you point out, the two straights though are so long. That you can't have a high downforce setup, and so what you end up doing is you you create a car that bombs down the straights, but that's basically skittish everywhere else. And it, it, it's a funny point that you make because I I had a chat with um, again a Mercedes engineer about this, and uh, I said to him, you know, there's a lot of hype about how fantastically compressed the field is. You know, the racing has never been closer. And I said, you know, what happened to that old adage where a driver said about another driver, oh, he's half a second faster than that guy. Because, you know, if you've got a field that's compressed by six tenths of a second from P1 to P20, and there are drivers who are half a second faster than other drivers, how is that manifest? And he said what you said, Chris, a while ago. He said, this is a very, very tire-limited formula now. You just burn well, your I took a screen grab when I watched the race. This is lap six. This is, I think the, the commentators said this was the best DRS, the best example of DRS train they've ever seen. So if you, yeah. I don't know if you can see this, but I yeah. think everyone but two cars is within a second. Yeah, science and sergeant. Yeah. It's science of everyone apart from science and sergeant is, is within DRS zone of, a, of the driver in front. So you just have this bizarre spectacle of, you know, 18,000 horsepower pumping around the circuit, looking like they are towing each other with, with ropes. Mm. I think I mean, having watched the F2 race as well, which was an absolute humdinger before. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think uh, Ed, Ed was very good at this. Edward has denominators of the health of the car market, and there's the, they are the EFL markers. So he'll plot things like 275, 27RS, 911 turbos, just as a, to understand the health of the car market. I think one of the ways you can understand the health of Formula One is if you go to the race meeting and you prefer the F2 race. Then they're in trouble, yeah. and I, I, I think that's happening a bit now. You turn yeah. up there, and the F two, they, they are, they look, they look hungrier. They look, there's, there's wheel to wheel racing, and it's they sound, practical. they sound way better. You're sitting in the grandstand after the F two race, you go, ooh, bits of my innards move. Then the Formula One cars come out, and it is a bit this. Well, F two is a V eight. Yeah. V eight engine, normally aspirated, yeah. non. It's a new category next year. I was yep. watching the F two. Well, the F2 cars, you think to yourself, if why would you buy a Valkyrie? Why wouldn't you just go and buy a, a used 2023 F2 car with the support package? What's that going to be? A million quid probably, isn't it now? After after it's been used, maybe less. Turn up and just roast all the Valkyries and supercars and hypercars at a track day. Fantastic, Billy <laughs> really Kit. Yeah. You can't drive um, them there, though. No, uh, you probably get, you'd get number plates on it though because you've probably got a man, haven't you, Neil? That get I'll get a, I'll get a plate on that, Neil. Right? What did you watch it, Neil Clifford? <laughs> no, I watched the um, Spurs Aston Villa game. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I watched the quali because you always have this naive, optimistic view that the quali is going to be exciting. So you watch. I watched that, and then I watched the start of the, the I watched the start of the race, and then after about twenty minutes, you're like, oh, you know. I've, I've got to watch all of this because I've got to have something interesting to say on my little podcast. But then I thought, oh, bollocks, I'm going to watch the football instead because this doesn't look that interesting. Yeah. And it's, that's a bit of a sad state of affairs, but I'm sure everyone, you know, everyone knows who's won. What was the issue of uh, uh, does Mercedes finish ahead of Ferrari or ahead of McLaren in the constructors? Was there a whole sort of little thing there that needed to be resolved? A little thing there. 
A bit of oh, money, a bit of honour. How much money? 10 million quid, probably. 10 million. Is that what it is? First and second, yeah. Second Mercedes, didn't they? Yeah, they got it. Yes, yeah. Ferrari yeah. looked so... You saw the Mercedes pit. They kind of looked like they'd won the championship, frankly. And Ferrari, who have actually won a race, they really looked so pissed off. I mean, there was so... Because I think it hit not them how close either. They... Not surprised either, because actually... Uh, another sage-like voice in Formula One, I don't know who it was, was defining <clears throat> drivers and teams by how they maximise their position with the worst machinery when they're at their worst. And you have to say of Mercedes that that, is the, that should be their absolute anus horribilis. And they've come second in the Constructors' Championship and beaten Ferrari's Manish says, who won a race. Yeah. So actually, if you, if you can do that with, with this dog turd of a car, is it the W14 this year? I can't remember. I think it is. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got you've got Lewis taking a photograph of it, saying "one last go in this thing" before the start of the race. I mean, it's not it's not a rigging endorsement, is it? And then and they still come second. So I don't know. But then there's all these tapered rules about time in the wind tunnel. I mean, it's so complicated. They used yeah. to be that they used to be that those brilliant uh, spoof cricket commentary tapes by the guy called Billy Birmingham, the 12th man. 12th man, brilliant. And if you your cricket, there was a thing called the Duckworth-Lewis method. You <laughs> might be aware of this. So the Duckworth-Lewis method was was the way of calculating what score you had to hit if a game was rain-affected. And they used to take the piss. It used to, the calculation was so nuanced and complicated that they used to involve the number of spanners in a particular tool set <laughs> on, on the day in the Billy Birmingham tapes. But it's a bit like that for me. When you read these rules, like... Apparently, Mercedes gets 17% more wind tunnel time. Who polices all this? Is there a bloke from the FIA? With yeah, a there are. Going, going, you can't go for a all auditors. You're, some... you're, you're at max there. You, no, you can't go for a wee. I mean, what? Who polices all of it? Yeah. It's all a load of bollocks. Is there going to be any changes over the winter season? Sadly not. No. Same cars there's, on the there's grid. A, there's a change uh, for 26, but that's all. There was, I remember. A lot, there was a sort of another distant kind of very vacant look in people's eyes because obviously the cost cap... Yeah, like us then. <laughs> like us at eight in the morning. No, but the, the cost cap means that they really can't... You know, Mercedes, this is the point that I made. Um, in 2022, if we had no cost cap, no cost cap's good for the team, stability, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is some bloke in Stuttgart would say, right, we're not in here to come second. We're spending $1.32 billion because we're going to beat Red Bull this year. And that was the kind of, you know, yeah. knives out Formula I'm One. Not, I'm not sure ever. they would. I reckon that same FD might have gone, hmm, sales of the EQS aren't that clever. Yeah. We shouldn't be spending a billion. So maybe Mercedes has been more protected by the cost cap than people realise. Yeah, and I think that that spend $1.32 billion a year has been, it doesn't, we, we've, they've tried that before. I mean, it doesn't work. I mean, Nicky Lauda banging, you know, in Jaguar days when he was running Jaguar racing for five minutes alongside all those other people that had five minutes running it. On a Monday morning, he would literally bang the table and say, we must make the car faster. Thanks, Nicky. <laughs> you, said, you said there's no change, there's no engine changes or wheel tyre changes, but clearly they no, Red, Red, don't honestly, work Ed, on their aero Edward, packages. No, Edward, Edward they, they say Red Bull stopped developing that car in somewhere around July and August. That's so what he's driving now, God knows yeah. what they've built for next year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. God knows what they've built for next year. I think, I okay, my, my uh, slightly acerbic guess for next year is this, that Red Bull will, Max will win the first three races by a margin that everyone finds so ridiculous. And then someone will go into the FIA cupboard marked Bernie's old stuff and find the Bernie button. And they'll dust it down and go, ooh, what does this do? And someone will press it halfway through race number four, and Max's car will shit itself. And then suddenly <laughs> we'll have a very close racing season afterwards. Yeah. I just I think Formula One is facing an existential problem, isn't it? It's you know, it's Max openly mocks the, the race series now, and he has every right to. He says, People are going, Do you miss going wheel to wheel? He says, No, I want to dominate, I want to turn up, I've no interest in racing wheel to wheel. And I want to work out how to dominate further. But in doing that, he's absolutely, he's just ruining the spectacle of the sport yeah. for everyone else. But he, it is not his responsibility to generate racing. It's his responsibility to go and win. 
Isn't it Adrian Newey ruining the sport though? He's the genius, isn't he? I think I think it, it takes two. You know what? Yeah, what is yeah. what is Checo doing in that car? You know, I know it's built around Max, but if Max wasn't in it, then I, then Red Bull wouldn't have won the, the series. They wouldn't have yeah. won the championship. I, I, have yeah. you it seen of, the interview? It sort of favours the it sort of favours the sort of the V the V corner driver rather yeah, than the U, U corner driver. Yeah, but I still I don't I think whatever car you give Max right now. You give them a, you give them a, he doesn't like eight. that. He doesn't like a car with anything. Beginning of the year, it was slightly tiny, tiny little bit more understeer. It was, and but Czech, if you, if you gave was him quite 11 close to identical it. lawnmowers and said mow that, he'd still be quickest. He still so, would be, but it wouldn't be as quick as he wouldn't. The gap wouldn't be as big. And Checo is too much of a, I think, too much of a U shaped corner. Have driver. you guys seen the Alex Albon interview about Max's driving style? It's absolutely yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah. Jack Humphreys interviewed him. It's two minutes long. It's worth having a look. Yeah, because um, he was saying, because Alex is a U shape, you know, he wants to make, you know, one radius rather than sort of turn in a bit. It's a bit like Rob Wilson. Did you ever use Rob Wilson monkey as a driving, driving coach? Yeah. Oh yeah, he used to turn up to Brunton in, in, in a rental. He used to turn up in a rental Vauxhall Astra. I'd meet yeah. at the cafe. He'd be on his fourth fag and third espresso. Yeah. And then Kimi Räikkönen would turn up for a driving lesson. Yeah, in in another Vauxhall Astra. So his Rob's technique was always sort of like, and um, Snetterton at the end of the old Backstreet Snetterton was. Rather than going all the way down and then one turn, it's like turn a bit more and get the car ready for what's going to happen next. So you sort of like shorten the distance and then the last turn would be tighter. But because it's a shorter bit of tarmac, even though you've overwhelmed the tyre, it's not for very long. And it actually just shortens the lap and you do fewer metres and it's faster. Vettel was like that. Lewis is a bit like that. Max is the epitome of that. Whereas what oddly, people said like... Though? Did you hear what Albon said to yeah, me? Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. He understand it. He said, if you get a cursor on a computer and you just turn the sensitivity right up on your mouse, sorry, you know what happens when you move the mouse just a very little bit, the cursor is yeah. just moving all over the place. He said, that is how Max likes a car set up. And I thought that was the most eloquent explanation. He said, everybody else, we're used to sensitivity. He says, you know, I'm a racing driver, but Max's level of sensitivity is just, it's unmanageable for, for normal yeah. drivers. I think we are seeing something spectacular with him. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I pity I pity the rest of the field and I pity the sport in many ways. Perhaps, yeah, my my my, uh, my end comment is, I don't understand why Lewis is carrying on. He keeps promising this next championship. Yeah. I'm a massive Lewis fan. I'd love him to get it, but I, I don't even see it at the moment. This is, a, this is a horrible prophecy. I'm not sure he's going to win a race in a Mercedes again. Ooh. Ooh. I just really fear. I really fear for them. Why yeah. don't they give him the give him the seat, the second Red Bull seat? Well, that's the chat this weekend, wasn't it? It's all a bit yeah. sterilous and sort of I reckon if I reckon if his burniness was still in the sport, he would do something drastic over the winter. He would go, right, right, oi, Lewis, you're going to Red Bull. Get yeah. one of those monster shit. Get one of those, get one of those tropical ones. It's nice that one. And Actually, and they've lost Monster. Mercedes have lost, lost Monster. monster. It's because Zach, the man is McLaren. Yeah, it's gone to McLaren, who already got 75 million sponsors. Clearly, <laughs> Zach that would really Zach make is... it exciting next year, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, it well, would be brilliant. I just a, a general swap around. And, I, and I, 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 let's see what happens. All right. Have we exhausted Formula One? If we have, we're yeah, going to move on quite to some time ago. a much, much thornier issue. And that is, for Med would love at this, is DAB radio a fraud? No, you say it's from me. I just selected the topic. No, it's from you. I just think it's actually your, from me. You're wearing Clifford. your Bastardo shirt. Are we getting a percentage on that or not? I fucking hope so. Right. Okay. Um, DAB radio. I, I'm, I have to say I have strong opinions on this because mm. I have vehicles that have it and that don't have it. And I, yeah. and I vacillate hugely on this subject. So I'm going to go over to Neil Clifford, who I know is a big fan of the Archers. Well, I think it's slightly fraudulent, DAB, but it might it might be that I live because I live in the Chilterns, and and uh, and don't get me on five G. I think that needs to be another subject. I'm not a conspiracy yeah. theorist, but actually, it's worse than bloody three G, five G. But on DAB, it runs out all the time, and it makes that horrible bloody noise, and then I have to switch back to FM. Which, frankly, when you do that, FM is lovely. 93.5 Radio 4 
is a gorgeous little radio setting, isn't it? I mean, you can't get Radio 5 because that's bloody on medium wave and medium wave is officially shit, as we know now, even though we always used to love it in the olden days. You can't use medium wave. Can't use medium wave. So if you haven't got Bluetooth streaming and heaven forbid CarPlay, and you are going on long drives in hilly places, DAB can be quite a challenge. And then you don't get your Radio 6, which I desperately try to like Radio 6. I've got a lot of friends that are immensely passionate about Radio 6 is possibly the best invention in the history of the world. I can't really get into it in truth. And I'm not really getting the vibe completely on Radio 2 because it is all a little bit Neil Diamond still. So I'm a bit stuck in the middle. You know, one, I'm too... You know what, Neil Clifford? You are at what parents call that awkward age. Oh, I'm all, you know, because you put on Radio 2 sometimes and they're playing Oasis or Blur or something. They're like, oh, okay, Radio 2. I've got Radio 2 now. It's talking to the cool 50-year-olds. And then it goes back to bloody Alvin Stardust within two songs, doesn't it? And you have to yeah. turn the bloody One click from Gary Glitter. Also, it confirms why, actually, the first <laughs> indicator that someone other than you has been driving your car is the radio station. When we got dragged out of a Welsh forest at about 11 o'clock at night on Friday night, <laughs> the, the crew had very kindly brought Bryn, my co-driver's Yarish GR, what a car that is, to us. And it, we were a bit pissed off. He got in it and he went, well, I've not been driving it. It's on fucking Radio 1. <laughs> you, you immediately know, don't you? It's because you wouldn't have it on there. We're going, to, we're going to talk about this later a bit. We've all got our trusty little fabulous people that help us out with cars. And I have a couple. One is called Pat. And Pat I've known for many, many years. Whenever Pat's in the car and sorts me out with a new battery or a bulb or something, it's got LBC. You get in this fucking LBC yeah. on it. Do... Who wants to listen to LBC? And I adore Pat, but I don't love LBC at all. When we do OCD... <laughs> We're going to talk oh. about that's where the finger of truth and justice came yeah, from. Yeah, but that's that's the, the radio. That, with you, OCD is another entire season of shows. I mean, you're, I'm, I'm bad, but you're different league. So, yeah. DA, I remember when DAB, the first car I drove that had DAB in it, a, a DAB headset, as they were called then, didn't work. Oh. It, it was a Trevor from Blackpool, so TVR Tuscan. And I remember, um, I remember being presented with the vehicle as you you were told straight away by P. Wheeler and the crew that it was faster than anything that had gone before, better than a Porsche. I got in and they said, this is radio. That means you don't need an aerial sticking out that's ugly. That was one of the main benefits. You didn't need a big, ugly aerial. Right. Yeah. And um, and it'll get it'll get any station anywhere. And I remember sitting with Steve Sutcliffe all the way back from Millbrook to Teddington. And I just about I just about heard something like Angela Rippon fart for about two seconds. I couldn't hear anything, nothing. We couldn't get a single station on this thing at all. Yeah. And I've not, my relationship with it has been on and off really ever since. Because if you're like me and you're a cricket tragic, your your relationship with the radio is really bound into either 198 Longwave or what, wherever you can get a stream of, of the cricket commentary. And I can remember, I mean, I, I have incredible memories of when I was younger, my father would actually, he would actually choose routes cross country when we were going to do things to avoid power cables and bridges so that the service for the cricket wasn't interrupted. Oh, I love I that. Yeah. remember my mother saying, why are we going this way? And he said, well, because there's power cables down that road there and the radio cuts out. And that would be his little Motorola. It only had long wave, that radio in the car. He'd have it swapped from car to car. So we ended up with an Audi Quattro with a long wave radio in it. Oh, I love it. Another one. Is there a better combination? Ridiculous. Um, yeah. But I, but DAB was supposed to be the saviour of people like me. But it, but this is the new digital solution that's been around 20 years that doesn't really like hilly ground. It doesn't, doesn't work. It, it, is a bit, it is a bit of a fraud. And it's... When you drive from Cornwall back up here, there's a, there's a dip on the A30 near Oakhampton where Pirate Radio, which is the Cornish, if you're in Cornwall, you know Pirate and love Pirate, it just stops. And you think, well, I, I can see why it stops, because, because the DAB things, they don't cover the whole country. They've got a license to cover a little bit. Otherwise, everything would be available everywhere. But it, it's a bit like the difference between when an iPhone, when iPhone started working properly, the quality of the phone conversation was completely different from a landline. But sometimes it just don't work. So here we've got dodgy. We used to have really good because we're on top of a hill. I can see Neil's house from here. We're on top of a hill, just across the border in Hertfordshire. You think mobile reception should be brilliant. 4G, this doesn't work. So you call somebody on the landline and it's like talking through three socks. And you think, well, at least you can hear them. 
And FM's a bit like that. You can, at least you can hear it. It's a bit shit. Yeah. So yeah. DAB is another example of some beardy people sitting in a lab thinking, I've got a brilliant idea for how we're going to get rid of all those problems of the quality of an analog signal. But it, it doesn't work. It is a, it's a fraud. Because well, also, and I, I, I know, I'll let you into how, how pathetic the cricket tragics life is. So my, the black 911 I had that sadly expired uh, in, in the Y Valley, that was the car that I specified myself when it had DAB in it. The reason why you have to tick the DAB box in a Porsche is it doesn't offer long wave on the, on the hi-fi anymore. And then, like many VW products, it's replacement, the banana, I didn't spec. It, was, it wasn't owned by me first. Um, and so it doesn't have long wave, nor does it have DAB. So all I can do is is put my iPod thing in and make mm. my phone go on to... And actually, you have better results streaming it through your phone line than you do on DAB, which surely is the ultimate accolade Weird. that DAB is no good. You're better off listening to Radio 6, streaming it on sounds through your cable into your hi-fi, aren't you? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Edward Lovett, you started this subject. You've not said three-fifths of bugger all. Say something. Well, I'm listening, and also, I this is all you all you need is Spotify, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, no, well, I, I was just thinking about the black spots. Is I, I I'm not as as I've said recently. I haven't driven outside of London uh, much recently, so um, for me, Reading to Cheveley. That's a that's a black spot area for mobile yeah. phone coverage and for DAB. So I've totally given up yeah, on DAB. Yeah, that is. Let's, let's is that, Edward, are you under some sort of curfew? Is that why they're not letting you outside London in the car? No, no, I just don't drive outside you of got, London very you often. You one of those things around your ankle. That's <laughs> <laughs> just on the other foot. All right. <laughs> um, and the the. In America, when you get into these rental cars, this when we talk, we talked about the rental car race. Obviously, you get in seat in position, navigation set up as quickly as possible, and then I find the hardest thing, which I the next two hours of my journey from the airport slightly jet lagged, is trying to choose one of the three thousand two hundred thirty eight radio stations available in that yeah, area at any one time. How do you choose a radio station when you arrive in a new country? Except oh, in America. Well, internet radio in California is hilarious. And of course, when you have a Californian car in the UK, you always end up going, you're stuck on internet radio. Why don't we have internet radio? Yeah. Think, you think it's the best thing ever. Then you go to LA and you realise, actually, this is just confusing. But nothing... But that's, that, that, is D, that is DAB, effectively, isn't it? It's digital. No, no, it's different. No. Different, different. different so, internet radio. The, the Riviera radio in 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 the VAR, Saint-Tropez, you can get that on yeah. internet radio, but you couldn't get it on DAB. But the, oh, you're the, Riviera the, radio, you're not NRG. NRG. I prefer Riviera. <laughs> the, but surely the best one of all, best place of all is Italy. I was, the, the, the great Peter Robinson, when I used to go and drive out there with him, in fact, if you, if you like Robbo, Peter Robinson, read the book, because there's a big, big load of stuff in him, about him in there, because he's wonderful. I remember going out there to work the first time, he would just be at his wit's end about the way they ran the radio licenses in northern Italy. It was just, it was just a zoo. You could establish anything wherever you wanted to, you could do whatever you wanted. And that meant that if you were driving at about 100 miles an hour down the, down the motorway, you'd get probably three minutes of a radio station before it comes oh. straight to something else. You know that sequence that Blackout goes forth when Ron Atkinson pretends to be interference, he's really in a gale force, yeah. eight. It was it, that is Italian radio. That's the way they work. The franchises. It's brilliant. The the um. So, so I know we 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 talked about the Blaupunkt and different varieties of uh, of stereos that there are, and it, it is a massive bugbear when you get into a car you don't quite know and you want to listen to radio and you're trying to figure out how best to navigate your way through the radio stations and some of them, especially, uh, and this is more of an FM problem not a DAB problem but when you press search because you're trying to get to let's say radio one and the, the reception's not quite strong enough that it just flies past 97.6 or whatever it is but if I you do that, that if you do that in DAB if you get in a car and they've got I don't know an Alpine a single DIN head unit and you try to find a radio station DAB you will sell the car before you end <laughs> yeah, up finding yeah, anything yeah. on it's it's genuinely impossible to choose. It's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. 
it's amazing how we how we how we attribute different numbers to to our lives. The significant number for for Neil is ninety three point five. That means nothing down where we are. We are ninety four point three. That's radio four. You say ninety three point five, I go. Uh, that could be anything. But I'm sometimes ninety two point nine. What? You can't drop into the 92s, you can't drop into the 92s. That just totally freaks me out. Yeah, 92s is Radio 3, mate. That's just... That's yeah, that's 88. Dearie, mate. Oh, no, it's right. 91, isn't it? We're moving on. We've exhausted <laughs> DAB, which, which by common consensus is disappointing, I think is the yeah. word. It's disappointing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fag lighters. God knows Ooh. how we're going to talk about this. Again, Edward Lovett posed this one. It's brilliant. I am <laughs> going to start. I am, I am going to start with this one because it brought back fond memories. And I've got three young children now. And uh, I, I don't have a fire. Can I say that? Should I say cigarette lighter? I probably should, shouldn't I? Sorry. Well, you can do. I don't, yeah. We don't have a fire in London. But when when we go and visit my parents, we they, they like the, the log fire lit. So... Obviously, you're having to tell your parents or tell your children, don't get too close to the fire. Don't get too close to the fire because they're not used to the fire. But it's, so it's fascinating. They want to get close to it. And then my mother's saying, don't worry. They'll only touch it once. They'll only touch it once. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was told that as a child, obviously. But you're always curious and sat in the back of a car with your parents driving Clearly, the, the cigarette lighter or whatever we want to call it is there. So you can't help yourself but press it. You wait 30 seconds and it pops out. Yeah. And then you can see it's red. And obviously, <laughs> I don't really want to test it on myself to see how hot it is. But <laughs> my sister's leg feels like an appropriate place to see how hot it is. <laughs> And that's where I learned the they'll only do it once. <laughs> yeah, very good. Also, Edward, you've massively undone yourself there because not many cars had fag lighters at the back in the nineties. You've no, let they, yourself down there. Hold a second, they all had it in the in this and yeah. the armrest. They did. You needed to. You were anything less than a seven series or an S class. You were not offered it was a, a fag rough lighter. day. It's like okay, really headdress. Fine. The car you, I was in had a fag. Lighter. Yeah, yeah, we know that. <laughs> You telling me that your dear father was taking you to school in that bright white silver shadow again? Uh, <laughs> he he absolutely was, which was why I went to I went to a school on the outskirts of Swindon called Pinewood, and uh, I learned I learned about bullying at Pinewood. I wasn't the bully, um, and I was like, if your dad doesn't give us a Porsche, you're dead meat. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, give him one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That that was kind of the script. Yeah. I um I, the, the cigarette lighter. Anyway, sorry, sorry to my sister for burning your leg with that cigarette lighter. So I, I used to I used to smoke in in the cars when I was younger, and there was a whole skill to it that that's just it's an art that's been lost now. So to start with, every because Quentin Wilson had given his ten checks for a used car, one of which was it look at the fag light straight away, and if it's been if his fag light has been used, then the car's terrible. Why why we thought that I don't know, but we just did. So what Agreed. you do is you had to you had to brace your arm on something your left arm, have the smoke in the right there, and be able to if you got the thing within three mil, there was enough residual heat. You didn't have to touch it; it would light the fag. So right. your your fag lighter would remain unsullied. But there was a whole other method. A lot of cars, no one had leather upholstery, so the velour. If you got a little blimp on there, then the yeah. whole thing would just burn up. So you had to be really careful with your airflow. You when you got a new car, you worked out the venturi effect. Like you were you were a pocket Adrian Newey. You knew exactly the aerodynamic qualities of that window. So you could just Neil Clippers nodding because he knows this. So you could just give a little light brush of the thumb on the filter and it would just and everything would just sprinkle outside. I remember going yeah. from a Peugeot 306 to an Alpha 145 Cloverleaf, whose aerodynamic qualities totally mystified me because I spent about a week. With the if anyone sat in the passenger seat, the fag ash would come round the back of both of our heads and hit them in the left eyeball somehow. It had a weird boxy quality. <laughs> so you did have to learn these things, but the fag lighter itself was just a given. And I just remember as they got phased out, and I was still, you know, partial to the odd smoke. You'd think, well, this is most inconvenient. And then so it went from the you optioned on BMW the the, the delete smoking package. Yeah, which you were encouraged to do, and then of course, very quickly it became that you had to actually ask them to put a fag lighter in. Now, I think unless you buy a Rolls Royce or a Bentley, there is no option to have a cigarette lighter put in a car anymore. I don't There's think you can even have pack it on Porsche. Yeah, a smokers pack. It's is there? Pack. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, okay. and I do it because you need the charger. 
You, well, yeah. even that's because of now USB I, ports and stuff. Yes. Yeah. I can't. I sort of start can't believe that it's still possible to have this device where, like Edward says, you you press the button in, you take it out, and there's this glowing red hot firebrand thing in a moving vehicle full of motor spirit. I can't believe you ever could. And I think the cigar light, because it used to be called cigar lighters, because mm -hmm. that was rather less sort of common than cigarettes. And we but also, technically, one lights a cigar with a solid heat source. You tend, you don't. It's much better than lighting it with a flame. Yeah. So but actually, I, it is better for lighting cigars. But I, so <laughs> I, it's kind of a metaphor. I think it's kind of a metaphor for the change in risk appetite for what we thought was acceptable to have this glowing red hot source of ignition and fire and maiming and you know light killing if you were really really if you're sat in the back of a love it car who <laughs> dropped who <laughs> dropped one on upholstery i did oh god everyone did oh we yeah everyone yeah i dropped uh, one yeah, on the passenger did? seat of my peugeot 306 and that rucked up like a Walker's crisp packet over I a remember, candle. I remember thinking, the seat, how, the seat was how such hot is quality, this? Went, <laughs> how hot very, is this? Let's, very what do hot. I try? And so, exactly, I've got a crisp packet. I'm on my way to school. Um, I've got a crisp packet. My I've pack still got one. marks on here. And yeah. Back in the autocard days when we were bored through the night, your mate in the puzzle suit would put it on and just stick it on your elbow. And you'd punch <laughs> the ceiling or punch yourself in the face. <laughs> We've all got bird marks down here on our elbows from it. So they were I think we should celebrate that it is still there and that a generation of children, our children, can learn danger through the there device. Of my, dad, my dad was a very typical 70s um, doctor. He used to drink sort of half a bottle of scotch every night and smoke about 60 cigarettes a day because of the quote-unquote stress of being a doctor. And um, I remember when he, he used to drive to his uh, general practice and um, he had a Capri, a 1.6 Capri. And I remember the, it was blue and the registration plate was G-A-Y-777-L. I remember wow. that to this day. So it was mid anyway, he would always smoke in the car and I would always feel sick in the car. And it didn't matter to him because he needed to smoke in the car. And I remember... Actually, it was my first ever act of sabotage as a seven-year-old. I managed to get a decent amount of brown plasticine. And I just basically stuffed the plasticine into the cigar lighter. It was driving. I just remember pressing this thing. And this car just smelled as if a buffalo had shattered it. It really, <laughs> you could just smell the plasticine kind of burning. You could feel the coil trying to catch it. <laughs> taking it out with just this long, thin, disgusting drip of plastic, and it killed the lighter. Killed it. It was uncleanable. I think that I like Chris as a, as a sorry Neil. Carry on. No, the one one tip I have on the cigarette lighter is if you are going to buy a 60s, 70s, 80s, or maybe even 90s car, the first thing you should check is to check whether the cigarette lighter works because yeah. that is a good sign you're buying from an OCD owner that makes sure things all work in the car. If you push that in and nothing happens, big alarm bell should ring because yeah, there's a load of other shit that isn't working. Solid it's missing altogether then. There is a, there's a Tuttle customer, apparently, I was told. One, one of the mechanics was trying to locate something in the, in the car on Friday. And I, and, and I was told a story that one of the Safari customers is a, likes a cigar at the end of the day. So the car, the Safari Rally car, these are quite extreme things, is fitted with a special ashtray and smoking kit on the roll cage. So when he finishes each stage, he's got a bucket little ashtray so he can have his la-di-da <laughs> at the end of the stage. I, I, I love that. And I think many cars, you know, when you see the sort of standard wooden picket mini from the 60s, you think you look at, you try and understand the personality of the person that specified that. All too often, you'll see a crazy smoking kit in there, won't you? You'll yeah. see something that's got... Yeah. The space for the cigarette packet or for me you know if you're if you're right-handed then it never made any sense to have an ashtray down there quite often you'd find people that would have in right-hand drive cars they'd have a little pot put on the a pillar for their ash because there was no point having it down there on the left that was for a concert all all smoking was was, a, was essentially 
um, xenophobic against us. You know, we can we can smoke in in right hand drive cars, really. Whereas in, on the continent, if you're right handed, the ashtray was in just the right place. Yes, that's right. A Bristol yeah, Ford Seven has four cigarette lighters and five ashtrays. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm moving house next week, and I know somewhere in the house is a box of cables and garmins and all sorts of things that connect to the uh, the cigarette lighter in the car which I, I i'm sure i'm gonna have to throw it out because i'm yeah I, i'm not sure if anyone uses any of these things anymore yeah. I've, i'm sure i've also got a couple of drawers of dvds somewhere as well which have, yeah. have been in in the same drawer for 10 years there used to be much. there used to be that little almost like a single element kettle device Single yeah. element boiling water thing that yes. you could plug into. Somebody thought it was okay in a moving vehicle. I know. To plug my, in. Mum to, my mum used to make tea driving along in the Escort yeah. One. Well, I, used to, I used to do it. Which was, you, you remember the Nescafe commercial? That very, very good looking girl who split in a, up. In a beetle. Was it a beetle? Yes, exactly. And she pulls beetle. off on a cliff and yeah. at sunrise, she drinks yeah. her Nescafe, which she's heated up with that element. And it, it wasn't style. a cost thing. It wasn't, I mean, student, I was a student and we all had them because it was cheaper than a kettle. But you, it was something you plugged into the wall. This was something you plugged into the cigar lighter. Yeah, like yeah. Somebody thought, tell, that's tell fine. Us, tell us in the comments the most ridiculous thing that you have that connects to your uh, cigarette lighter. That's going to go Ooh. wrong quite quickly. The only one I've kept, <laughs> of, all, of all that, in all that box of crap, the only one I've kept is the little thing that has that allows the, the old radio in your old car to connect to a frequency that your iPhone can then talk to. Oh, that was, that was, that yeah. was good. You could yeah, also just have a... Win, didn't it? They They're also good, had though. a cassette, didn't they? You could put yeah, a cassette I've got, in I've got, cable, Those are good yeah. for old cars. Other, other than that, it's all a death row. Okay, so we're going <laughs> to do know. one more topic, chaps. Then we're going to... Because I've because Edward's demanding that I get to uh, Dunsfold quite soon. Um, we're going to do... Then we'll, then we'll do... Um, uh, our two-car garage, and we'll do some music afterwards. So, I reckon we'll talk about self-maintenance on cars. We're going to go straight to Neil Clifford, who, if he actually maintained his own cars, wouldn't have time uh, to have a normal job. So, how do you work, Neil? And just how handy aren't you with a spanner? Completely and utterly useless, guaranteed to break <laughs> anything and make it worse. And the big, the, big, the big frustration I have with myself, amongst many things I have with myself and frustration, is I'm always so excited to go somewhere in the car that I never check the oil. I never check the, you know, I maybe I walk around, see if any of the tires are flat. It's a visual check as opposed to an air check. Yeah. I rarely, that's not even true. I never check water. And then I feel really guilty because I really give my kids a lot of pressure. Make sure you check your oil. If you're going on a big journey, my daughter's going to the Cotswolds tomorrow, check your oil. You know, I have to do it for her. So I check my kids' stuff because, you know, you don't want them to break down or have a crash or have an accident and have they got antifreeze and have they got the stuff in the washer bottles. I do it for my kids. I never, ever check myself. And we do, you know, well, I'm lucky to have a pat. And I'm lucky to have a Graham. And I have two wonderful people that sweep up, frankly, behind me because I am useless at remembering to check anything. It's a big problem. I think the phrase sweep up behind me is incredibly apt here, certainly for me. Chris Cooper, what do you think? So we don't need to check oil and tyres and water because it's just it's all on the dash. It's just, you know, the tyre pressure thing, those tyre pressure monitor things. In new sort cars... Of yeah, but you know, sort of, you look at the old stuff, old stuff you would do. My minis, I'm obsessed with checking the air pressure on just because I can. And I've got one of those, I usually, I usually have it on my desk, one of those little rubberized, little circular air mm. tire pressure gauges you just plug in. I'm, it might be in my little office drawer here. Um, but I have, there's a, on the farm here, there's a Mikey. And Mikey looks after VWs and sort of anything. In fact, one of the guys in the office here yesterday, uh, last night before he was leaving, said, oh, I've got, I've got a bit of a flat tire. Do you know what I guess? I've got a Mikey. Go and see Mikey. So Mikey, just around the corner where one of my garages is, went around and he said, and 
because he's a Mikey, he's got his air pressure thing could inflate a jumbo jet. So right. Alex, my colleague, said, I'll, I'm just going to get my tie done. I'll be back in five minutes. No, you won't. You'll be back. You'll be back in a 10 seconds. And he came back with this big smile. Face. How fast was that? So you kind of, you kind of checking oil. I do check oil in old stuff. Do you? I don't. I should. I do because it uses a lot more oil. And it kind of, I, something really satisfying in, in the workshop over here of having a row of oil cans and oil of, I've got, I've still got a can in there of mineral oil I bought in 1997 when I had my first 911. But when it be shit now, why haven't you chucked it away? That's not the point. It's just the nostalgia of I bought that oil years and years ago. <laughs> What's the I, matter I, with him? Kmart. What's the matter with him? He's um, turned into a git. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just don't have that OCD. I really don't. And I, I sort of split you two. I haven't even started on my OCD. No, uh, well, well, we know how bad that is. Well, some of us do. I first think, of all, um, Sorry, I, I like to think. I like to think in an emergency, I can think laterally enough to help get myself through something. But it was interesting this last week when we would come back. You know that that rally that we just did is very rough, uh, and the car had a few issues to start with because it hadn't run much. And you'd come back into service. You haven't got long in service. You've got twenty five minutes. You come in, and you park up, and the Tuttle guys are great. It's up on its jack straight away, and everyone's looking at it. And then, you know, the great Derek Dauncey, who ran Ken Block for 10 years and who's Mitsubishi Rally Art, he'd go, so what's your feedback? And I'd tell him. And, I, and then I'd, I'd start to self-diagnose. And, and I was always wrong. You know, I'd always I'd identify something and I'd get it a bit wrong. And I'd think to myself, I'm, I am quite shit at this. You know, I can give feedback. I can do the, I can do the feedback on setup. But if there's a noise, if it's, I'll say, oh, I think it's the left rear trailing arm. It turns out it's the drive shaft instead. I'm always a bit out. Yeah. So I, I've, I've said in the past on this podcast that I love seeing people do things that I can't do. And the apotheosis of all of that for me is watching a really good mechanic work on a yeah. car. That's true. I love it. I was, I, you know, if you, if, to the point where I would, I can remember going to a well-known Ferrari specialist in the Cotswolds and actually impishly turning up two hours early just because I knew they'd still be working on my car and I'd get to see someone doing something on a 512TR engine. And I, I just, I have utmost respect for it. And actually, there's nothing that, it is, I reckon the person that can help you with your cars is up there with your other half, really. They're so and, important. And, and your doctor. So and, your life. Yeah, there's Mikey, last week, weekend before last, he had, he's got an Astra, got a work van, an Astra, an Astra work van, and he had it up on the ramps. And there was some liquid pouring from out under, out of the bottom of it into a little bucket at the bottom. I said, Mikey, what's happened? He said, somebody down the lane pulled out of a junction. It's a single track lane. Somebody knows it was like, he was going past it, literally T-boned him, literally pushed him across the lane. Insurance company said, it's a write-off. Said, so what's that? He said, well, it had three quarters of a tank of diesel which I didn't want to lose. It's impossible to get it out. So I lifted the thing up, punctured the tank for the diesel, draining it out. I'm going to use it for the heater in my workshop. Oh, that's How genius was that? And I thought Brilliant. That ingenuity, <laughs> that sort of economy of thinking and, and a way of life, I applauded it. And I, you know, like you, Mark, I've said before on here, the skill I'd really like to have is that sort of skill on the spanners. And you know, you think, hang on a minute, you've still got three quarters tank of diesel. I know the insurance is going to pay him off the car, but I've still got three quarters tank of diesel in there. I could use that in my heat diesel heater in the workshop. Yeah, I, I think of all you of the ones need I've a Mikey seen, in our life. Great, great, you know, great mechanics in the, uh, you know, that just work on street cars. And there's racing mechanics, street circuit mechanics. But for me, watching rally mechanics on the hoof, you know, when they, yeah, they've just got they've just got a van with some tools in it, nothing like a full suite of tools, and the and the. The lateral thinking and the cleverness. Yeah. Uh, there was a well-known episode where we, one of the first films I did with Fred and Paddy on Top Gear was we rolled a hearse. It wasn't meant to happen. And this thing was flat. Uh, it wasn't good. And I remember the guys that normally work on those vehicles are very talented. They're really good. They're a great crew. Um, but my friend Shippy got involved. People will know, you know, will know that the name Shippy comes up because he's just a genius mechanic. 
Anyhow, these guys went to get some pizza at one in the morning. When they came back, the hearse was ratchet strapped to the side of a building. So he'd ratcheted the whole thing up. He worked out the only flat surface he had that he could work with was the side of the building. So the wow. vehicle, if that's the side of the building, the hearse was yeah. strapped to the side of it. And he was just pulling the A-pillars pulling. out, like just casually pulling them out with ratchet straps. Yeah. I, I, I could, it's, it's cryptic fact stuff. I could have sat there for a week and I'd have still been there on the ground with a hammer whacking. Yeah. That reminds me, you can tell who's got skill, that kind of skill, if you give them an, a dismantled ratchet strap mechanism, the bits of metal and the straps, and say, right, thread that for me. Oh, it's impossible. That yeah. is, that separates them from those who know, from those who don't. And I'm, I'm next week, I'm going to, because I've got this trailer now, which has got ratchet straps. And I sort of don't disassemble them because I can't put them back together. No, no. And also, when you get when you get one the wrong way around, so it's actually winding inwards, like an it's winding trail. out. Yeah. And you and you think I'll carry on with this, I'll style it out, and eventually you break the ratchet because that's yeah. all you can do. Yeah. yeah. Edward, love it. The, the, do you, do, well, you, do, you the, do you maintain your own metal or do you give it to a man? <laughs> well, I, I my my mechanical um, checks consist of opening the car putting the key in, turning it, hoping it starts. And if it starts, then it's I'm I'm good to go. I'm good to go. If it if it doesn't start, then it's for sale immediately. I, I don't <laughs> care what's wrong with it. I, <laughs> I don't care whose fault it is. But it's for, the cigarette it's, lighter. For, it's for sale. I can confirm uh, it, he's not it, lying because the other week his G-Wagon didn't start and I just got a message saying I'm selling it straight, yeah. straight away. <laughs> Now, that's why you don't leave London. That's why you don't leave London. I've got, no, actually, there's, one other guy, there's one other guy I've got. Every, you know, if everyone watches that certain farming series, every farm has a Caleb on it. Our Caleb is called Keith. And Keith can fix anything. So the tractors, if a tractor breaks, you think, where in that un impenetrable hunk of six feet thick steel is the problem? And Keith will say, it's there. And then half an hour later, this behemoth of a tractor is totally disassembled on these enormous axle stands and bits of wood that are just the right height. And it's got a, the gear out of it, which is like this big. So between Keith and Mikey, we can fix, um, fix anything. Chris and Neil, question for you. Where do you think the battery is located in a G-Wagon? Under the rear seat? The rear I'd say back seat, yeah. It's not. It's 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 located in the. It's in the. It's in the rear footwell below the seat. So you cannot Close. access. You cannot access the. You've got to go underneath. Well, well I, which for a massive car like that, a BMW, it either used to be. It was in the back, wasn't it? You pulled the side down in the boot, and you could just take it out yeah. and put it back in. The best thing about BMW How was there was already always an auxiliary terminal. There was a positive and a negative yeah. in the bay that you didn't need. To get to the battery, so you could just jump it. Yeah. yeah well, in, in all fairness, that does exist. But I, you know, in, in the moment of crisis when I couldn't access <laughs> it and I didn't have a jump, I didn't have a jump pack, or I couldn't find them because the last time I took my car to Richard Tuttle's, he took the booster cables out. Richard, Richard. <laughs> I'm just going to. I'm just going to. Chris, you just said, you said something about rally mechanics. I just remember we did a film with Michelle Mouton, and you know she famously lost the world championship to Walter Roll because she had three mechanicals when she was way ahead. She needed, I don't know how many points. And I'll never forget one thing she said, and we got it on camera. She said she was having a problem with a very sticky second to third change. And she went, look, I've got tons of time. You know, she was two hours ahead at that point in the rally. And I'll never forget the sign. She said, normally a gearbox change, the mechanics are so fantastic. They can do it in 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. And I remember thinking, what and somebody actually filmed the mechanics you know doing this change and she said they did it she drove exactly the same problem second or third so she stopped then it was 20 minutes 30 minutes 40 minutes 50 minutes and then of course she lost the rally by two points and lost the world championship um so she lost the championship by two points but um we were looking at that archive and we decided they were all german mechanics on an audi and i think she was a bit of a feisty one i wondered whether Walter had bung them a few Deutschmarks. Oh, come on. Oh, <laughs> that's, low, that's low. We I'm felt that they'd sabotaged her. If you want if you want to see a group of people tusk loudly at the hours are required for certain jobs, 
Look at rally mechanics when they look at domestic garages, when they require, you know, 14 hours to put the water fluid in. They are not happy bunnies about that. (laughs) We really don't need any of that. Right. Our two-car garage for this week. This is a long one. It's almost as if Neil Clifford wrote it because it's so long. Can I tell you who wrote it? Shall I tell you which of our listeners yes, wrote it? Please go on, please do. Rowan Hetzel, four one two six. Thank you, Rowan. Okay, this is the long one, isn't it? It's the incredibly wealthy businessman. Okay, here we go. This is this is hypothetical. You're an incredibly wealthy businessman who is who made his fortune in the tech industry. You have many supporters, but a lot of very powerful adversaries. This means you need something safe and secure for when you enter and exit your press conferences. It must have enough seats to comfortably accommodate your wife and two children. However, you've been blacklisted from Mercedes, Rolls Royce and Bentley due to some criticisms you may have made. (laughs) It must not cost more than £100,000 as you don't want to be seen as greedy by the public. You own one of the new apartments at Silverstone, which you like to visit most weekends. You want to make the most of the track, so you want to buy something capable but you also want it to be understated so you can slip in and out of your London office almost unnoticed. Your wife is not happy that you bought the apartment, so she won't let you spend any more than 60000 on your new track toy. It's long, it's, it's involved, there's lots of banana skins here, so I'm going straight to Manish. Um, I decided that he was an internet pornographer, which is why he, uh, he needed this 100000 quid. And, you, you know, I just found it. I found it. The 2016 French Toyota Land Cruiser Blindato VR7, uh, 61,000 kilometers. But the best thing about this thing, it's basically a bulletproof car. Yeah. And that's what I would buy. 300 yeah. horsepower bulletproof car, 99,000 euros. And I think, you know, there's no way that all these people who've been putting revenge porn on your website are going to even see you. It's going to drive in, going to drive out. They might get an RPG, but they're not going to dent your forehead. And I was, I was thinking about the other car, and um, I've always really fancied one of these. I know they're not the most powerful, the best in class, but I think with a little bit of help from Mr. Cooper and Mr. Harris, I reckon you could both make me a reasonably handy ta- track driver. I got a Cayman 4.0, the GTS, the GTS. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't want the GT4 too powerful for me, but the GTS, 300 horsepower, I think you guys could teach me to drive that, actually. Good car, that. Good car, that. Yeah. yeah. Good car. Very good car. That's yeah. Navy blue, very understated. I would I would say you've got good choices there, um, particularly the Cayman. Uh, Chris Cooper. Um, I also had a Toyota Land Cruiser. Oh. But, but... I think you'd have to get it from that extraordinary place in Gibraltar, Toyota Gibraltar Stock Holdings. They're the ones that produce all the Land Cruisers for the UN. So you get a, like a ballistic B7 spec Land Cruiser, 70 series Land Cruiser. Not the, you know, it's, everyone knows what they look like. Because um, you're a bit dodge and people don't like you. And because you're a bit dodge and people don't like you, and you might have fibbed once or twice, I think the lovely track toy that would go sort of unnoticed would be an Alphaholics GTAR. For 60 grand? 60 grand. No, no 500,000 that would cost you, whatever it does. But, <laughs> so it doesn't but matter. It doesn't matter. 60 grand deposit. It doesn't matter because that's the least of your problems if you've got very powerful adversaries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Neil? Uh, Neil Clifford. Yeah, Neil okay. Clifford. I'm, I, he's not been banned from BMW, and he's therefore he's not been banned from Alpina. And uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a new massive fan of Alpina. I've come to the brand very late, too late, but I'm going B5, no stickers, no badges, touring, grey, black leather. Looks the most boring of cars, and actually it's a wonderful bloody thing. <clears throat> and then... What's the most understated track car for me? And I thought, you know what? The car that Chris will probably give me a good view on this car, the Golf, because I'm taking the stickers off again, the last of the good Golfs, really. So whatever it was, a 7 or a 7.5. 7.5. 7.5. 
Club Sport S. Yeah, that's the car. Right. There's nice only thing. 500 of these. You take that little Club Sport S sticker off the side. No one knows what it is. You can drive out of your office. Everyone thinks you've got a boring golf. They think it's a bit weird you've taken the rear seats out if they look closely. But actually, <laughs> this, this thing was designed for the Nürburgring. Uh, it's got all the little trick bits. Probably lovely to learn to drive fast around a track yep. in that car. And um, very invisible, really. Yeah, so good choice. Those, those are my two choices. Have I missed something? Why does the track car need to be understated? Because it just, it just Rowan says, says so. It says it says in the description, Edward. So just just listen to what people ask us to do. Come on, over to you. <laughs> okay, you've um, obviously well, failed that one. No, well, well, I haven't. I, you don't know what it is yet. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Well, I've written three down as my family car because yeah, my choice is obviously the last one. But a Panamera is surely, you know, you haven't been banned from Porsche. So a Panamera yeah. is a pretty good Sausage. family car. Sausage. I also Sausage. really yeah. like Sausage the, is no um, more. Pardon? Gone. Sausage. Port Turismo, yeah. it's gone. No sausage. Uh, well, they're not making that, another they're, one. I'm sure no, they'll bring gone. that back. I'm sure no. they'll do a Sport Turismo. One of I'm the best looking not. Porsches, that is. Um, I've got to say, I really love the look of the um, new... VW Arteon. Is that Arteon or something yeah, like Arteon. that? Yeah, 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 the wagon. wagon. That's a great looking car, that. Yeah. Um, but my choice is a Toyota Alphard. That, uh, that, that's got to be the car to get me in and out of London. You know, I slide the doors back. If, you know, I can put someone... You do love those things, don't you? Well, I... I I'm not sure love is the right word, but they, I, they, there's something about them. And this this Lexus XM thing, you know, they're, LM. They're LM thing. And what, there was something else launched that looks totally ridiculous this week. Is it Saab or Volvo have done something totally Volvo, mad? I think. Volvo. Yeah. It's yeah. The, it's Volvo. China only. China only. It's, it's the most hideous looking thing. But... They're all following a trend. And and I remember what, you know, when Mercedes launched the R Class, you just thought there, there was just no buyers for those cars then. And the brave man who bought the R55 AMG. Uh, or did they, did they do a 65? 63. 63, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, R63. You know, there's so few of them, but clearly these manufacturers have come Amazing. back full circle to think that there is a there is a market for uh, for these cars. And it it, it is for the people who want to be driven around big cities and not drive. Yeah. Um, that R-Class that had engineers refer to heave, which is that kind of unfettered movement of mass. mass. In the R-Class okay. <laughs> had heave. Yeah, we, we have, I'm having one in to test. It was, it, and we put loads of people in it. It was quite an experience fully laden around a circuit. It did. Do they still do the elk test in these things? It wouldn't even, you'd just turn the wheel and nothing would happen. It would just hit oh. the camera. It would hit the camera that was filming it. Just be elk mist. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, my, my my track car, I'm going to remove all the stickers because apparently that's how you make it uh, incognito. But I think as we've discussed, you know, if you if you live at Silverstone and you want a track car, so you're going to literally be there all day thrashing around. I, I just don't want a road car. I, I need something that I can pound around all day and no brake fade, makes all the apexes. And... I think that's going to be a radical SR3, which, given we're in the UK and it's very often going to yeah. be wet, a radical on Avons is yeah. probably one of the most impressive cars, race cars. And in it's the really <laughs> low key, so it fits all the categories beautifully. <laughs> it, it, exactly. It's low. It's low. Yeah, and it doesn't have a key. And it has a key. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable, Edward Lovett. I mean, just for a man who just cannot obey rules. Um, so... Uh, You've all done well, but I've definitely done you here. Bear, bear in mind, I, I worked these out whilst we started because I hadn't done it before. So, uh, my journey begins uh, in Zimbabwe. Robert Mugabe, you might not know this, but Mugabe was a massive Nissan Qashqai fan. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> and what he did was he had himself a B7 armoured Qashqai made, but it had inside it Nissan GTR running gear. So it looked ordinary, it had the pace, and it had very thick bulletproof glass windows. That vehicle just happens to have come up for sale on an auction platform called Collecting Cars. 
Um, and I bought it for under £100,000. So I can't think of a more discreet way. So all the neighbours think I've got a Nissan Qashqai, but I've got 800 Litchfield-tuned horsepower under my right foot. And you could stand next to me with a 12-bore, and I, I, I won't even hear it inside. It'll sound like yeah. a, a fly has just flown into the window. I so think the B7 is essential. Yeah, I agree. B, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a B6 armoured Qashqai with... And I've got the oxygen tanks in the back, and I've got the tannoy, so I can sit inside and just go twat at people when they walk across the traffic crossings and no one will know who it is um my track car well there's a bit of a clue in here i think it's silverstone i think this is where edward has got it right you need the hatchback idea is great but silverstone is a long long circuit and in a hatchback it feels like a long circuit so you need some power you don't want too much downforce so that you can actually let the thing move around a bit and for the money i think a second-generation 996 GT3 in a subtle colour would do oh, me nice. just well. Mm -hmm. It's a good car around there. And also, because it needs to be subtle, I'm going to take the GT3 badge off the back and I'm going to put a Carrera 4 badge on the back of it. Nice. So everyone nice. thinks it's a street car, not a racing car. That's my nod to it. OK. Um, I think we've covered... There's some very, very good suggestions there. I like those very much. Now we're going to move on to our Muzak. Uh, Chris Cooper. Do me oh, last. I'm not prepared. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Uh, Manor should be prepared. There you go. What do you want for your music? Well, I was rather inspired by your sheep may safely graze on the piano. So I am going to go for Ryuichi Sakamoto, who died recently. Uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, but played on a piano. Very, very soothing in a car. Oh, I'll get on to that. Writing that one down. Um, uh, no Clifford. Teardrop, massive attack. <laughs> ah, good one. Massive right. attack. Crystal band. Uh, Edward Lovett, you got anything on I not? don't have one. Carry on. I'm, okay, I'm I'll looking. Do mine. I'm looking. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sadly show how overexposed social media I am sometimes. Um, you might be aware there's a, there's a dance and a song that's currently being imitated by everyone on TikTok and on Instagram, but I love the tune. It's uh, Back on 74 by Jungle. Have you heard that? Oh, it's, brilliant. Brilliant. It's a really lovely tune, actually. It, it works away from the visuals. In the car, it's a happy song. It's good. Right, these two are beaver away. Chris Cooper's going. No, to I speed. think because this is this is always music that should make you feel good in the car and a bit up upbeat and positive. Um, and something bizarrely, something which kept on coming up on my car last week. Taylor Swift. Who doesn't love Taylor Swift? I don't. I do. Blank space. Taylor Swift. There you go. It's, it's a good. It's a good pop song. That that is a good yeah, pop song. I'll give you that. Um, He's done well. That girl. She's got billionaire status. Billionaire. <laughs> Billionaire status, yeah. Uh, I don't have, have you chosen one. a song or not? No, no, you don't need one. Oh, God, here we go. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us on this prime-numbered edition of the Collecting Addicts podcast. My co-host, Manish Pandey, Neil Clifford, Chris Cooper, Edward Lovett, who didn't choose a song this week, and myself, Chris Harris. We, Well, you'll hear from us and maybe see us next week. Thank you. Bye.